Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the conversation half. We'll be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. I'm Dawn. And I'm Kevin. So Ross started with how a lot of people who are foodies even have excitement about the menu and what the ingredients are at a restaurant. But food is much more than that. It sustains life. It's the center of celebrations and wisdom, or in this case, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is a, I like the soundbite, wisdom is a woman who has built a house. She's a party promoter offering a feast. So fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Ephesians kills our vibe and um, food is sometimes used as a weapon of oppression. And even here in the United States, there's lots of statistics about uh, those who are food insecure or living in food deserts. Um, But we also can be very aware of, he went into where food comes from. He's part of a farm share um, where they can share recipes and vegetables and community. Um, But that Jesus holds that tension between Proverbs and Ephesians by being the bread of life. And we see that in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is feeding the body, but also the mind and the spirit and the meal is for everyone. Um, And it comes down to someone who is hungry can't hear a message. Um, So here at this church, we are trying to provide food, um, doing food packing programs, giving out food in, you know, grocery bags, but also a community lunch where everyone comes together and it helps with the loneliness, but also actually giving them a meal. Uh, And then he went into the food may run out, but that uh, sense of community lasts longer and we are all sustained by Jesus. And um, the gifts of Jesus are not ours to give. We all experience that together. And then finally, that uh, food is not just about consumption. It's part of creation growing all around us. And one way to preach the gospel is through the food. There's a lot happening with food. There's a lot happening. In today's sermon. Let's let's back it up and start all the way at the beginning uh, where Deacon Ross opens with talking about appreciating the ingredients and a menu at a restaurant and, and the foodie culture, as it's called, that can go along with, you know, appreciating and rating different restaurants and dishes and and and, and that whole process. That, when he brought that up, that, that really struck me. Um in particular in the context of today's sermon, because I think about, you know, in a place like New York City, we do have this whole culture built up around, you know, new restaurants and new menus and and new dishes and fads. And there, there's this whole foodie culture, but existing a long time alongside it at the same time it are large communities of people who have access to no food. I think about where where I sit in that and, and mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm a person who like I could spend an hour looking up like the 12 best brunch places in Brooklyn to figure <laughs> out like where to go on a Saturday morning. And yet I, I have neighbors in my same community who a would ne- probably never be going to any of those any of those places, let alone trying to pick the best one. Right. Um, and, and may, you know, struggle with a, a certain amount of. Uh, food insecurity or access to food that's not very nutritious or not enough access to any food. And it's interesting to me that those things exist side by side. And I wonder as, as a community, as a Christian, as our community of Christians, you know, where's the balance between loving food and, and finding great joy and great food, but also being, you know, loving your neighbor and making sure that the way in which food 
is in our world personally and society is, is ethical and available to everyone. That makes me think about um, discuss- discussions of gentrification and why it's mm. harmful uh, is because it's uh, it was talking about it's not just that there's a whiter or richer population coming into a neighborhood, but it's also transforming what choices are in that neighborhood. Because if you think mm. about someone who may only have a couple dollars to spend on a meal, they're not going to be going to a really nice restaurant. They're going to be going to a convenience store to like get a can of beans. Mm-hmm. But if that convenience store gets priced out and it's all you're just surrounded by restaurants or those kind of things, then it's making it that they literally can't afford to live in that neighborhood in a purchase purchasing sense, not just in a rent sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while I might be walking through with my friends being like, yeah, this neighborhood is getting really cool. A couple bars opened up down the street. Another group of people might be walking down being like, our local grocer's place is just closed and was right. replaced by this bar where every drink costs $10 and we're never going to go. Right. Now where are we going to get our food? Do you think that's why bodegas survive in every neighborhood? Because they appeal to everyone, you mean? Well, because there is the can of beans, at least, as as it's gentrifying. But even totally gentrified places still have bodegas. Have bodegas. Yeah, especially the ones that sell beer. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think, yeah, they... But I see your point. I'm they, just... have, they have groceries and ingredients that are useful, but they also have, like, you know, the snacks and treats and sodas and drinks right that we're buying alcohol that yeah yeah yeah, that regardless of where you are you know economically you're still gonna crave at well there's also like they will sell one diaper you know like they are filling a convenience need Mm -hmm. late at night yeah yeah absolutely though it still works yeah there's then the what's the price you're paying for that convenience absolutely is always the question. Well, that's the same thing. People who never have enough money to buy a monthly subway card, you know, the monthly is cheaper, but if you never have that much money all at once, you're paying either daily or weekly and you're paying more money. It's expensive to not have capital up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, yeah. To not have cash flow. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even buying food in bulk versus buying one meal at a time. Mm-hmm. In the neighborhood I live in, the grocery store to me is very expensive mm-hmm. and you know to the point i prefer to shop at a different place in manhattan and and bring it back ah. um so i mean and i'm you know work I'm working kind of professional office job level so i can't imagine the, the and i don't see many other options it kind of is the the one right so what do you do systemically as somebody in that neighborhood who would go to brunch occasionally as a special Mm. thing. Mm -hmm. But like, how do you then help others? You know, what can we be doing to be involved in food systemic things? You know, Deacon Ross did say, let's help systemically. Yeah. I'm not always sure what to do. Communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do know these issues. It's like, yes, but I'm not really sure what, they, do. Those um those fruit carts that are all over, that was a Mayor Bloomberg thing. He added a thousand fruit cart licenses to try mm-hmm. and bring fresh food to food deserts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's just like one tiny thing. 
It's one tiny thing, but it's a thing that it I certainly notice and appreciate. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think that was, that was a great move, and the fruit really is cheap and it's good, and, and it's right there, and it's r- right there. Yeah, it's like convenient. I'm buying a banana and eating it. I yeah, I mean it's awesome, and I think the fact that you know you mentioned it's kind of like a little thing. Like I think it's just a great example of like it doesn't have to always be some crazy massive overhaul. Like that was a very concrete, mm-hmm. small idea that makes a very concrete, small, but meaningful difference mm-hmm. throughout the whole city. It's everywhere. And there actually aren't a lot of other services the city provides that are that universal. You know, like you think about things that require more construction or less portable. Right. Like depending on their, you know, average affluence, different areas of New York have better, you know, like, smoother streets and newer everything on on the street than other communities um and they're not they're not equal but pretty much everywhere i go there's a fruit there's fruit carts there are yeah so it's something there's also sort of the social impact i think uh, when i was at nyu my work study was to help in this third grade classroom in a lower income area. And when they had the lesson about foods on a menu, it wasn't just about a reading lesson. They taught the children how to order at a restaurant because none of the children had been to a restaurant. So they, I mean, they're eight years old, you know, how scientific is that survey? But none of them knew. None of them, you know, eight-year-olds would be like, I went to a restaurant, but they didn't. And they didn't seem to know. And it was news to them. You know, how do you talk to the wait staff and how does it all work? I I talked to a uh, acquaintance recently who um, nannies for a family that like, you know, they're in like the fortune. Yeah. 500, you know, like yeah. executives. Uh, their 10 year old is investing in stocks and like talks about stocks with his friends. <laughs> so, you know, while these kids are only eight, like you just see this huge. Right disparity in like where they are at in navigating the world and what like, they're being equipped to do and what they're being equipped to do this 10 year old can independently go online assess and purchase and discuss stocks and you have eight-year-olds who have never been in a restaurant or ordered right. uh ordered something coming back to you mentioning your summary that our our community lunch one integral piece of our community lunch ministry here at advent is that we, rather than having kind of a serving, you know, procession, we uh, invite our guests to sit down. And even though we, we don't have many options, but we come and ask what they would like. And the leaders have spoken to me about how that is important because it gives people, the yeah, people who do not regularly have opportunities to they be don't asked what they would like. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, and to be able to say, I would like this, please. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, that gives them that moment to be served. That phrase, beggars can't be choosers, we don't want to call them that. They can choose. Absolutely. They are allowed they and we are freely because, offering this. Because they're a person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that we get to do, I mean, that I get to do every day and, you know, take for granted. Mm-hmm. And it does give you a sense of empowerment. Not everyone's getting that. Right. And it's, so circling back to, the, you know, brunch places. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, even the the concept of brunch, the word, <laughs> totally. You know, is invented and it, and it, it 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 exists within a particular culture. Yes, that is for a particular group of people with certain amount of income levels and like and and you know 
part of a power structure in a variety of ways. It implies you have a day off, you are allowed to sleep in and have your meal whenever you want. It's I mean, le- isn't that all implied in the word brunch? Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. It's, it's leisure lifestyle. Yes. And you have to have a certain amount of, a certain type of job, mm-hmm. a certain amount of income, and, and, a, and a certain freedom of independence and freedom from other responsibilities too. Um, to do that. I feel like brunch also though is getting at the community aspect, right? No one talks about I made myself brunch alone in my apartment. They don't use the word. Brunch implies meeting up with people. It is a social activity. It's a social activity. Yeah. yeah. So it's that human need, the body, mind and spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I've definitely felt most connected with people and found connection over meals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So moving subjects a little bit, Ross talked about how food, in addition to sus- sustaining, how it builds community. Why is that? And, you know, how do, how, do, how do you guys think that works? Food forces you to stop doing something else. And then often it's a shared experience. Because you're tasting something. Yeah. And I feel like up until whatever, 50 years ago, we were, every every meal was communal. You always made the meal for 10 people. Mm -hmm. There weren't individual things. Like the potluck was like, whatever's in the pots feeding everyone in this house. Here we Mm -hmm. go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... It was the time you weren't working on the farm or whatever, being a blacksmith or I don't even know. But, you know, it made everyone stop and talk to each other. Yeah. It's just a hypothesis. I'm making up sociological things. The conversation that it creates. Yeah. No, I've, um, you guys might know I was an English major. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I've read a lot about functions that different things serve in literature mm. um you know whether that's illness like a character being ill and yada, yada, like they all serve different purposes in terms of touching on themes and yeah so food and and you know classical literature particularly typically serves the role of giving characters a chance to bond or showing an opening up. And I'm thinking of one book in particular, I can't tr- grasping for the title, but it discusses how the act of eating is is a vulnerable moment because you're acknowledging that you have needs, uh. that you need to be sustained. You're putting stuff in your mouth, with, which like, you know, it's not always yeah. graceful. It's not always, it can be, obviously, but or we try to make it so in like, you know, white linen restaurants. But at the end of the day, you're like, Putting this, you know, creation, this plants and and um, animals, if you eat meat, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and consuming this. And it's, so it's kind of this vulnerable moment. You're also committing to at least 20 minutes with this person. <laughs> yeah, right? you're committing I'm, to time. Sometimes I'm aware of that, of like, you're kind of a stranger now. Like, I at least have to stay here until the food comes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I- yeah, I always hear that in um in ter- in dating senses. Yes, I was thinking that. <laughs> Where it's like, because drinks, you can like 
drink fairly quickly and be like, oh, look at the time I have to go, especially for first dates versus like, do I want to commit to this? Like I'm sitting down and this is probably going to be like an hour else. Like it'll look real weird. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a very common first ask, right? Do you want to go get some food? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but, so, <laughs> clearly, I guess there are moments that food creates community that we try, that we avoid <laughs> as well. <laughs> you don't want community with that person. You don't know them. Uh, I mean, it's definitely the question of, like, can you sustain a conversation over the length of a meal? Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody's had bad date stories where they're just like, this is the most awkward dinner I've ever been on. Right. Well, and it's one-on-one. It's more pressure. Like, I feel like a lot of what is referred to in this biblical sense is a community. Mm-hmm. So there'd be multiple people. Yeah. It's it not like, hi, I'm... Of yeah, each person to have to produce conversation. Right. You're not in charge of 50% of it. Yeah. I, I think there's also like a a pressure in our society to have to create conversation and to not a fear of silence. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were typically exposed to constant noise and stimulation. So like, I mean, does it have to be terrible to sit in silence? Maybe on a date when you're like trying to get the person to like you, that could feel (laughs) like the air is crushing you (laughs) slowly, like kind of an anxious feeling, but you know, there are other people that I feel comfortable that I could eat talking some, but also more quietly with, and it still feels like a bonding experience. Mm-hmm. So there's that too. But yeah, I do think the biblical talks more about a community. And I wonder what examples of that are today. Like I, one thing I think brunch. of is... Brunch. Brunch, <laughs> right, of course. But... But again, I'll, that's for only, that's right. not the whole community. When right. I think of like all of God's people, all of God's people here in New York City, the like the restaurants that I, a lot of the restaurants and bars I go to in my community, I, I've you know slowly came to see like they, like what audience are they made for? When the articles about the best ones, what audience are those written for? Mm-hmm. And it's not everyone that lives in New York City, and in this in today's scripture and Ross's sermon this this party is is a, a party that's for everyone you know that yes. that's being talked about and so i find myself in the, in the world still kind of yearning for for that with how f- locally with how food is consumed in restaurants or at home or in communities but also globally with how like food is di- distributed and and our world is seeing some big shifts with that, which is I think is exciting. Mm-hmm. So one that one that Ross mentioned is these these farm shares, yes, where you, communities partner with local farmers, and he talked about looking out at the people who came. He he and his husband participated in one and will volunteer sometimes, and he talked about looking out at the people and seeing something really special happening with his community and he saw conversations and people trading and and catching up and bonding with this process of coming to get their food in the way that you wouldn't see in like a grocery store which is more objective oriented right he did one thing didn't comment on that i would love to ask as a follow-up question is like what how diverse was this crowd that he was looking out at i mean and it was also 
striking to me of what they did with the extra food and being mindful of that and of that there would be excess and in giving that out and having a plan for that Mm -hmm. because especially in the u.s and europe we live in just such a land of excess and food waste and all of this kind of stuff uh i think the last week tonight did a really good show on it and talking about food waste not only in the home but also in grocery stores because we expect these big piles of oranges and apples anything everything to look so lush and fresh and just have tons and have excess you know one thing i just Mm. learned about because i was in wisconsin the cows when they're pregnant need a certain amount of sugar and food uh like candy and things that don't look perfect that no one's gonna buy like a gummy bear with no head that's what the cows eat so they are repurposing it and then it's going to the cow it's becoming milk it's being made into other things but they they have to have like two pounds a day of just sugar and they're they're eating candy that didn't pass the test because everything's supposed to be beautiful in the store so, so there's one place. So there, uh, yeah, <laughs> one or maybe there's potentially other right. creative ways of recycling or using imperfect food that we are unaware of. That right. are like random and weird and cool like exactly. that. Exactly. And yeah, because another thing is uh, it's similar to a farm share, but it's called Hungry Harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know it's at least in D.C. and Baltimore and it's other places as well where they like they buy and take ugly food. And send it to people. And that's kind of... And so then I know I have a couple sisters who do that. And so they just get their weekly box of food. And it's just kind of what food that was going to get thrown out because it was ugly. Or it was a little too close to expiration. Or something was slightly wrong that the grocery stores wouldn't want it. So it's capturing that what would have gone to waste. Wow. Sadly, they don't. They're not in New York. I looked up. Looked it up. Yeah. But isn't that the idea behind banana bread too? The bananas look bad, and yeah, then, yeah. we'll you find know. a way. We can use them in bread. But here's the thing: who has those skills? Or the time? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's our changing culture of what yeah. we're getting farther and farther removed from our food system. Mm-hmm. from like literal subsistence farming which is like i know the milk because i just got it from the cow because it's right. 5 a.m it is my cow and i mm-hmm. i got the milk out yeah 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 versus now where my, the milk i drink could be made from literally anywhere in the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a huge fluid milk isn't imported just so you know I, 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 as I was saying that, I'm like, that's a bad example because no, we have a lot of cows milk, in yeah. the U.S. Milk, yeah, yeah. We, they don't import fluid milk. They might import cheese. Definitely cheese. But that that's such a tangent. I'm sorry. Well, you know, we love our French cheeses and right. Spanish cheeses and Menchengo, and you know, which is the whole other thing about in first world countries how we are are able to import products from all over the world and that's like a mm-hmm. normal expectation for for many of us to be able to have that that variety and yeah i think you know it, that you really paint a powerful image in grocery stores that like grocery stores have try and create an image of abundance by having beautiful by having beautiful fruits and having a lot of it and making sure everything is fully stocked all the time 
even if it doesn't need to be. And I, I, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to think about how like it's this image, but at the expense of just the the reality, the real needs of the people. It's not about that. It's about selling a product. And similarly, you know, it's like the the farm share. The idea that people would be willing. So the way that a farm share works, if you're unfamiliar, is that you pay a weekly or a monthly kind of subscription, but you're, you're paying it directly to the farmers. And what that gives to the farmers is reliable, sustainable income. So, um, their income is regular. It's based, you know, it's on relationship and trust. If, if something happens with your crop and it's a little less, you're still getting the same staple income. If you're growing different things are growing in better or worse. And then, um, as the person paying in, you come and you get different foods every time. I'm excited to start one. I'm starting one in my neighborhood soon. I mean, I'm going to join one that's existing. I'm not starting a new one. Um, And it's great because it's kind of like a surprise. Like, what are we going to get each week? And it takes, you know, as as a working professional, one thing that plagues me and a lot of people kind of living my existence is actually an overwhelming amount of choices that you have to make. And it creates all this like gnawing dissonance cognitive dissonance and anxiety that's hard to escape and there's something about like not having choice sometimes of being like oh they have cantaloupe this week guess i'm gonna be eating cantaloupe and i don't have to like get to the store and just stand in the middle and decide what i want right um it's great but anywho um so then and then with ross's i'm not sure about mine um but ross was saying they give the extra away and what i love about that is that you're creating a relationship with the farmer Mm-hmm. It's about relationship. It's I support your work. You're bringing me food. But it, so th- now the food itself doesn't have like a value per unit. It's not like each blueberry is worth like 20 cents. Right. It's the people have value. It's like. And their work. The farmer and his work and her or her work has value. Yeah. And they bring value to the people. But also because now the food doesn't have value per unit. There's no. uh there's no financial reason not to give it away. You're looking at the objective reality that like there's food here, there's extra. Let's, Let's give, give it, it away. away. Whereas many grocery stores and restaurants and cafes, if they have extra food that's perfectly edible, they are required to throw it away because by giving it away decreases the perceived value right. of their product in the store. It is They consider it product, not food. The way you're talking about the relationship and all of this, it's not product stuff, goes to Ross's quote, food is part of creation growing all around us. Yeah. Like the way you're talking about it feels more like creation growing all around us. Yeah. As opposed to a product, a unit. Yeah. For sale. Unit, price per unit. Yeah. Although we did create a system in this country where you can get food. Mm-hmm. Supermarkets are making that affordable for a lot of people. Absolutely. But not, not necessarily but it, everyone. Or... It disconnects you from the producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It disconnects you from the producer. And then and some people it's not accessible to and and it's wasteful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wasteful. So that, you know, there's a lot of it's it, it we can't obviously discount progress and you know like things like refrigeration you know huge advancements to making food available to people so we've seen so many it's not like we're like living in this terrible world where no one's done anything right um but there's still 
ways the system could be better. Well, there's also ways that we're a really good solution in the 50s, 60s, or 70s that aren't a good solution anymore. I don't have a really good example, but just, you know, as with anything, it takes constantly reassessing the solutions we've set out and deciding, can can this be an even better way now? Yeah. I want to talk about something fun really quick. Good. He, he, he ta- so Ross does a, uh, an amazing job of kind of bringing together the Old Testament reading and the New Testament readings, the the letters and the gospel. And um, one one way he puts it is he he paints the image of wisdom being you know being a woman with a house who holds this like big party with food for everyone and wine and fun and all that stuff, and then jump forward to the Ephesian scripture, but it's not so keen on wine. And he's like, Ephesians kind of kills the party. <laughs> and, and, um, but I do, I think it's a great, he did a great job of highlighting how different, different texts in the same Bible will look at food or look at drink or look at celebration in different ways. And how to, how do we bridge those? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Right yeah, yeah. All how, the time. how does Jesus bridge those? He said something about that. He said Jesus holds the tension between Proverbs and Ephesians. Yeah, that. How? Do, how? Why? How? How why? does Jesus yeah. hold the tension between that? It's the we need food to survive, but how do we not kind of go so far as into gluttony? Mm. Um, because I know one of the things he was also talking about was um, someone who is hungry, but also somebody who is drunk, they both cannot hear the message. But they're having very different problems. One has a scarcity and one has a, um, one has too much of something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's on the same continuum. It's just the opposite ends. Yeah. Yeah. They both may have be the same distance from an ideal middle mm-hmm. in opposite directions. Yeah. I, I think too um, that that example it made me think of George Orwell's Animal Farm. Um, not sure if you guys are familiar with oh, it yes. at all. We read that it's, in eighth grade. Yeah, back in the day, right? <laughs> um, so you know, it's it's kind of it's meant to comment on communism, but the char- it's a farm and the characters are animals. But anyway, just little <laughs> details that are worth knowing. Um, but you know. It begins with the animals creating the society of shared re- resources. Slowly, the the pigs, I think, begin to kind of amass a little more power and control over this setup, this little society they've made. And one sign that the pigs are starting to hoard more of the resources is they discover like wine or beer and they start getting drunk every night while the other animals are working. And um, so I think it, in one sense, we're like, there's this sense of like really enjoying food and drink and having a party and it's and it's great can be like a beautiful celebration but i think it can also be a sign that a certain group of people is enjoying excess while maybe not not everyone else is mm-hmm. um you know particularly something like alcohol it's like it's like an extra thing to spend expense on that's for enjoyment it's not nutritious it can build community absolutely like i've seen had amazing moments of sharing a drink together, opening up conversation, similar to how food does. 
maybe with less commitment, as he mentioned on dates. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but it, it also, like, I think it's important to look at, yeah, like, how does taking food or drink as indulgence, um, can it be a sign that some people in a community or society have more than they need while others don't have enough? Yeah, and yes. that's kind of facing the reality of there is enough food produced for no one to go hungry. And yet, uh, one out of six Americans go hungry. Yeah. So, one thing this city does is anyone under 18 can get a lunch at any school any day. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. But we're being slightly socialist communist about it. Which I love. I'm just saying, not everyone's on board with that idea. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you know, everyone, obviously, in the in life and in the world, has diverse range of political views. Speaking strictly about food and feeding people, I wonder if that's that is one thing where I think I wonder if that's one thing where everyone could agree if understood the right way or handled mm-hmm. the right way of like. So let's at least make sure everyone's fed. Right. You know? Right. Like, and I, so I think a program like that is incredible and important and necessary because, you know, and I don't, I, people have cautioned me against like over guilting myself. You know, you don't want to live a life where you're just guilting yourself for enjoying anything either. Mm-hmm. But, but I definitely do feel a tension of like enjoying food or going to brunch while like, Others, my my neighbors might be struggling with, not my, are struggling with mm-hmm. food insecurity. There are moments where something about that feels wrong to me. And I can't help but question and, and pray and ask God, like, what, what is the right way to, um, to be, to act in this tension, to enjoy the gifts of the world, but also steward it and love my neighbor? Is it? as with many things, find out who's doing it well and support them. Like we, we can't yeah. fix every injustice, but we can support the community lunch that people are already doing here. Mm-hmm. We can vote for laws. I mean, at some point they must have discussed this free lunches for everyone under 18. Mm-hmm. And you know? people supported it. And people and supported it because it's expensive. It yeah. Yeah. And looking at supporting whoever is doing this well and what do they need. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, I can't personally do all the things, but I can find out who is doing it and support them. Yeah. It's, it's also like some, there are definitely spaces for new ideas and innovation for sure. But there's also like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are organizations who have already found great ways to address a, a lot of these issues Find out who they are right, and support them. Or there's people who don't have an organization yet but have a great idea mm-hmm. that needs the, you know, the funding or the infrastructure to become reality. So yeah, I think that's a great point of like look into what those things are. Right. And when someone is like, here is how we can systemically feed everyone beyond the free lunches at NYC schools – all summer and on holidays like it's always there so yeah if the next idea get on board support it vote for it whatever that is yeah 
It's a way of showing solidarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and creating the world that you would like to see. Right. And I, th- and, and I think creating the, that, that image in Proverbs, you know? Right. The to, wisdom party. Yeah. The wisdom party. <laughs> 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 Which sounds kind of silly out of context, but 